Hello. Hello, welcome to the new episode of the Science Basement podcast. But this is a special episode. Yeah, it's the summer special because we are still on a summer break. The actual uh, normal episodes will come back in September. But now we are live from Espo and actually Otaniemi and from Alto University where today there were workshops at the ICPS conference, which means International Conference for Physics Students. And we... 2018. 2018. Yeah, that, that, that's, we are in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> and we had, with the, with the Science Basement, we had a workshop about how to tell a science story and science, science communication. And we recruited, recruit, recruited <laughs> some, some students to tell us some science stories. So, hi students! Hi! How are you enjoying Finland? It's really good. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. Yeah, you found very nice weather this time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you should know that at every episode we talk about weather. <laughs> We're like always either complaining it's too hot, it's too cold, yeah. or, or other stuff. But it's exceptionally it's warm, so... Yeah, we were lucky. told that we were very lucky. Yeah, and it's not change. With us three from Portugal, we came from 47 degrees. So. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that's really yeah, yeah. Wow. Today yeah. is really nice weather in here. So, um, you guys were left some, some time between the introductory lecture and now this recording to prepare some science stories. So, this episode will be a, a big collection of science anecdotes from the students of ICPS 2018. Who is our first guest? Uh, hi, I'm Mafalda Matus from the University of Porto in Portugal. Oh, okay. So you were one of those people who came from 48 exactly. degrees. Okay. I mean, it was only 48 degrees in certain places. In Porto, where I live, it was like 30 something. 40. It was 40. 40? Yeah. Okay. Was I was too busy dying. Wow. Uh, so do you want to tell us some... some Anecdotes and science stories. Yeah, science sure. Story. Well, um, first, which university do you come from? And uh, what university yours? of Porto, and I'm in. I'm going to the third year now of physics. Okay. The bachelor degree. And so my story is about a, a cinema, but it's not just a regular cinema. It's actually like a Faraday box, a Faraday cage. <laughs> so. Um, uh, a Faraday cage, basically, what it does is that it's a box that is made out of any material, material as long as the walls are thick enough. Uh, normally, the material is metal, but it doesn't really matter. And uh, basically, what this box does is that it blocks out all electrical signals coming in. So, for example, if you put your phone inside one of these cages, supposedly nothing could reach it, right? You can receive messages or calls. So, in a cinema, this would be very useful because, you know, it's always so annoying when someone is playing with their phone and you just want to watch a movie. And, yeah, it could be useful. So, why don't we just put a person who is just confiscating all the phones at the entrance of the cinema? <laughs> that would be simpler, yeah, but that's not what physics is about. <laughs> that's, that's true. We always find nice applications for stuff. And also because people could actually bring with them two phones and just leave one of yeah. them. So we are, we are always like... Preparing for the worst. Prepare, yes, and, and avoiding people from cheating. Which brings us to the next story, which is from... Alexandra, hi! I'm also Portuguese, I'm also studying in, at the University of Porto, and I'm studying physics as well. 
So what I'm going to tell you is a story about sports. Sports. Um, in the world of sports, cheating is something that is always trying to be prevented. So me aiming to become a physicist, I hope, uh, I'm going to talk about how baseball cheaters can hide from the physics law. So in, a f in the past few years, the, there has been an increase of the omerons and scientists uh, try to discover if it has something related to the, temp the ambient temperature. And the one thing um, they found out is because of the ball's material, they can stay drier, which means, the, which means that they lose weight. And this increases the coefficient of restitution. So if the COR, which is coefficient of restitution, uh, increases, the, the balls are heated with, with a lot more force, so they can reach a high velocity. So the probability to hit a home run is a lot bigger. To contradict this fact, they built a humidor that keeps the balls, the balls at the right temperature, but also at the right humidity. So no, baseball cheaters can't hide from the physics law. And that's my story. have no idea what uh, of what 95% of our universe is made of. And um, in the past 50 years, we have, we have already found so many fundamental particles. And even more recently, in 2012, we found the Higgs boson at the LHC, which is the Large Hadron Collider built in Geneva, and is a gigantic circular collider. And it's actually the largest in the world. But um, it still doesn't seem to answer to all of our questions. For example, the universe is expanding at a, must, a much faster rate that, than what we expected and we don't know why. There is a gravitational evidence that uh, the galaxies are composed by more matter than that that we can see with the traditional telescopes. And, uh, well, we have no idea what that matter is made of. And, well, this list goes on. And uh, this is why the next generation of particle colliders is currently being designed and studied. And this is a huge effort. It includes uh, complex simulations and extensive uh, R&D. And... Um, of course, it also includes political and monetary considerations. And this is why I think we need to involve the entire scientific and non-scientific community so that we can create a, an international collaboration to tackle these problems in the future. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, um, are you at your bachelor's or master's uh, yeah. or PhD? Level? No, no, I'm, I'm finishing my master's now. Okay, so you're writing your, your thesis? Yeah, in, I'm writing my thesis, this. yeah. Okay. No, it's not on this thesis, actually. Okay. It's a kind of in a subsection of this. It's uh, studying how the parameter of uh, a future accelerator can influence our analysis in, mm -hmm. in particle physics. Do you have some collaborations with, with CERN at the University of Lisbon? Yeah, we have uh, an institute, which is called... Uh, it's the, the the Portuguese laboratorium that uh, it's connected to Sun, so mm -hmm. that's where I'm doing my thesis actually. Okay, okay, yeah. very interesting story. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. Thanks. Who's next? Okay, so 
I'm Elias. I'm a Spain guy. The only one around here, actually. Spain. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, we are moving from Portugal to Spain. Okay, we're going towards <laughs> east now. Yeah. <laughs> from which university? I came from the University of Seville. Okay. But I am actually from another city, which is in La Mancha. If you know oh, Don Quixote okay. de La Mancha, yeah, mm. of course. Oh, I live, yes. I live where the story takes place. Yeah, it's interesting. But anyway. <laughs> but anyway, let's go to science. Yeah, let's let's go to the point. Uh, I'm gonna just tell an anecdote that I really uh, do find really funny. It's about mathematics. Um, so, in 1939, uh, there was once upon a time a mathematician <laughs> in in the in the USA called George Bernard Danzig. George Bernard Danzig, one day, uh, he was arriving late to his, to his university class, and when, by the time he arrived, there were some, several things written on the, on the blackboard, and he just uh, wrote, it down, wrote them down because he thought it was the homework or something like that. It was a list of problems the, the, the teacher wrote on the, on the blackboard. So then, uh, that same day, I think it was, uh, Danzig tried to solve these problems because uh, it was his own uh, his homework. Then he just um, gave back the problems solved to his teacher, and by the time that teacher um, uh, looked the looked the the problems, um, he told Danzig like, sir. You only had to solve the three first problems. The two last problems weren't solved. No one knew the answer. So yeah, he did like that thing very epical, very epic, and he um, he solved two problems that weren't. Uh, no one knew the, the answer to. In statistics, statistics it was. So finally, uh, Danzig. Uh, the stories. The story has an, an epilogue. And when our our friend Danzig wanted to to make his PhD, he just came back to this professor, same professor. And when by the time he told him the uh, his intentions, the professor said something like, "You want a PhD? Why don't you take those problems you solved uh, that day? You uh, you put it inside. Um, uh, how do you name this thing that is like?" to um, send letters, I've envelope. envelope. Envelope, and just give them back, and we call that your PhD. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you get a PhD in mathematics, I think. Oh, but there was a, a similar story with, with uh, Linus, and I don't remember the surname, but the guy who, who, who planned and, and invented Linux, the, the system. Yeah, what? Yes, and he's a Finnish guy, and I don't remember the name. That's great. <laughs> but I think that the entire operating system Linux was his master thesis, and it just really? yeah, oh. and it just got that. Thank you for this story. Do we have another science anecdote? Uh, yes, I'm Pietro. I'm from Italy. I study in the University of Milan. And uh, to start, uh, I would like to ask you a question. <laughs> <laughs> do, oh, no. do you know more or less how many people are there in the Earth right now? Uh, um, seven billion? Seven billion, yeah. Oh, no. To be exact, it's 7.6 billion, but you got the point. And uh, do you know how many people used to be there 200 years ago? How a many? lot less. 
Yeah, that's kind of true. But exactly, <laughs> it was one billion. What? And that was 200 years ago. Wow. Yeah, and that was 200 years ago. So it took like uh, hundreds uh, of thousands years to get to the first billion and only 200 years to get to 7 billion. And uh, by 2050, yeah, it's going to be 10 billion. So it's the landmark. And uh, what I want uh, to say is just really a simple basic thing. But uh, if we want to face big problems, like for instance, uh, energy for everyone, that means also a good uh, lifestyle for as many people as possible. We do need uh, basic scientific research. And uh, actually, I'm not studying it, but I will just pretend I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, really, I'm really interested in uh, nuclear fusion. Um, because uh, it can uh, provide uh, much of the energy we will need in the future, but uh, there are not uh, all these problems uh, about uh, things uh, blowing up and uh, making yeah. uh, dangerous uh, or lethal radiation. And, uh, but that uh, does require so much money uh, as an investment, but I really think it's worth it, and that's what they are doing in ITER right now, if you know it. Oh, yes, yes. In where? ITER, it's the name of this big project. I think it's taking place in Paris, but it's an international collaboration. Okay. Yeah, and they are using a lot of plasma in it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's about plasma. And that's uh, how has the physicists come into play. Because yeah. we do need to understand the plasmas. Yes, yes. And, and then, of course, like, yeah, nuclear power can be dangerous, but it has, yeah, so the, one of the main problems it, uh, is that it, that it has to be contained exactly. and, and, like, safely and safely. Uh, get rid of uh, the, 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 yeah, the, 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 the waste, the waste yes. yeah. Yes. But one thing that I really found incredible is that uh, uh, when you build a fission plant, uh, like the one that are now working, uh, if something goes wrong, then it blows up. And <laughs> this is a big problem. But with fusion, if something goes wrong, it just turns down by itself. So you don't have this problem anymore. Mm. I mean, there cannot be an explosion in a fusion power plant. And that's why I really believe in it. It's going to be much better. Mm -hmm. But we need physics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And physicists. And physicists. Yeah. Yes. Please fund, fund us. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> give, give us jobs. <laughs> I think I've heard somewhere also that fusion is cleaner than fission. Yeah, too. Okay. It gives a uh, uh, way less waste than fusion, okay. and it's also really uh, much more easily treated. It depends also on the kind of fusion you want to take. There are many fusion processes that can be applied. Also in the sun, there are many fusion processes going on, sun. as you really know yes. much better than oh, me. Someone is talking about sun. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we love sun, and maybe it can teach us something about energy production. Let's get out with this helium, so we all speak with high voices. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for your story, and I believe that we have one last story. So, hello, this is Michael. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about uh, from, where? from where, from where, from the Earth, <laughs> from planet Earth, from, Earth. from the planet Earth. Which university on planet Earth? Uh, Graz. Okay. To you. Um, <laughs> well, one has to specify. There are two, three, depending how you count them. But I'm going to tell you about sails and lasers and spaceships, mm -hmm. shall okay. we? Yes. yes. So, yes. we all know how in the old days the ocean sent a ship across the sea with big white sails driven by wind. 
Turns out you can do the same thing uh, with uh, sunlight or light in general and have a big shiny sail and let the let light fall onto it and then turns out photons have momentum at the moment it gets exchanged with uh, the spacecraft if you get the shiny surface and this drives it forwards. Now if you build a laser, laser is pretty much a big bright <laughs> shiny light source, you can get much much more thrust out of it than just putting some tinfoil near the sun and hoping it will fly off in some direction. So the idea here is to build high-powered lasers somewhere out in space near the sun where you can power it via sunlight and shoot uh, tiny micro, uh, not microscopic, but really small um, stamp-sized spacecraft with tinfoil as sails to other stars, which as we know is a, space is very, very big. Yeah. You won't believe how many space. No, I'm not there is there. a lot of space in space. There's a lot of space in space. <laughs> we can move the 10 million people there. Yeah. Mm. It should work. So no, the, the whole idea here is really to use the sunlight, convert it into laser, and then send tiny spacecraft, hundreds of tiny spacecraft, because they will fail on their way to other star, to other star systems and explore that way, which, because... For usual normal rocket, a normal rocket is huge and needs a lot of fuel to get out of the Earth's gravity. But if you send them just out in, in Earth orbit and just shine a light on them and they fly away, this is great. You don't need fuel on that. It's light and it's cheap. And you can mass produce them. So if one fails, who cares? <laughs> and that's it. That's space. <laughs> and lasers. And sail ships are all, all cool things. Yeah, yeah. That, I just got this weird image of like sperm in space. Because you know, you were like throwing them out there and some of them will fail. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can talk about panspermia if you want to, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> and thank you for this last story. But now, guys, I think we will move the microphone in a way so that we can have some nice conversation all together. Okay. So let's start by talking about, so you're all from different universities, all European universities though, um, all physics related students. But are you all, oh yeah, are you all, you, some of you mentioned, but not all of you, all bachelor students? No. no. Some masters? Yeah, I'm doing my masters. Topics? So you're physics, just physics? Physics and mathematics, I am. Okay. Yeah, so I'm doing like, um, it's not like, I, I've signed up somewhere for physics, and then in a separate place for mathematics, it's just all together. The university itself is the one who has prepared this thing. So instead of being four years, which is the uh, standard, um, yeah, like how usually bachelor's degrees in Spain uh, are long, it's five years instead of that, yeah. But you get two degrees at the end, right? Uh, yeah, it's supposedly what I get. But that's good. It's usually they switch around curricula in yeah. the middle of the studies, and yeah. Yeah, but no yeah. one, no one knows really already because it just finished the very first people who entered the um, uh, this system. Yeah, oh, okay. it is uh, the first year because it's five years old. Like oh. it's a uh, well, how long it takes. Okay. Yeah. So you're the beta testers. Yeah. <laughs> do you all plan to do a PhD or go into some industry-related field? Well, I'm not really sure yet. Okay. Um, I'm going to start looking into it once I, 
I'm done with my thesis, basically. Yeah, because you're a master's student. Yeah, right? yeah. I should be submitting my thesis in September, actually. Oh, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I should be writing right now, but... <laughs> oh, but the conference is more important. Yeah. <laughs> I took the week off for this. Okay. But have you applied for a PhD? No, 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 I haven't. Not okay. Yet. Okay. So if I, I want to do it, it's have to be a year from now, basically. Oh, okay. So, because at least... Uh, I know that some universities have the possibility to start in spring, so April or something, but at least in Portugal, I'm not sure if I want to stay in Portugal yet, but at least in Portugal, we only start in September. Okay, because in Finland, there's four periods in the oh. year where you can apply. Oh, okay. Yeah, so if you wanted to join, like, Helsinki University yeah. Physics Department, <laughs> you can do that four times a year. I checked online, and I only <laughs> saw two, but okay. Yeah. How does it work, four times a year? Or um, how is the space time? I'm not sure which months. But you can just basically contact a potential supervisor, you discuss a topic, and then you write a letter of intent. And then there's some opening period. Yeah, I would guess uh, oh. every three months, whatever, it's funny. If it's four times a year, probably. Yeah, but I don't know, like... It would be funny, like September, October, November, and December, and then... Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know which months, like, the, how long it lasts. I mean, like in Austria, it's usually spaced around uh, school holidays from semester-wise, so we're doing... Uh, October to February, beginning of February, and then end of February to June. Mm -hmm. So two periods. Okay. Did you say that you would finish your thesis on September, right? Yeah, I'll submit yeah. it in September, okay. but then I still have to defend it. So. Okay. I will start in September my thesis. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and it's not about nuclear research. No. So how do you do your thesis? Is it just a uh, study how long is it do you have, have to write a paper no uh, at least uh, in in lisbon we we have uh, six months in which we are doing like research with a research group at the university or an institute and then we have a, a work with a lot of pages and we don't necessarily have to publish anything anything but well yeah we can <laughs> Yeah, that's the same in Italy. It's uh, from six to eight months of uh, full work, so it's pretty long. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the end, yeah, you can publish if you find something that is worth publishing. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But it's research oriented then, because yeah. I know yeah. some of them are more course oriented. So that's nice. But that's mostly for the bachelors when you can choose if you want to do some small research or you just basically write a big essay on some literature. Writing a what? Essay. Ah, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, okay, which, okay, in Finland it might be like 20, 30 pages for a bachelor, bachelor's degree. Okay. And now we're part of the science basement, as you all know, because you're doing a workshop on blogging and a podcast. Have you all thought about doing science communication more seriously? Yes. <laughs> I, I have to say, like, the reason why I even got into physics was because I watched a lot of documentaries when I was a kid and just, you know, sci-fi sci in general, really. And so uh, I didn't even realize how important science communication was until I basically entered university. And I think that's really a big problem that nobody really realizes how important it is. And also no one talks about it. <laughs> I don't know, it seems like it's a field that people aren't interested in going, even though it's so important. And yeah, yeah we talked about it today at the workshop before this this <laughs> recording this episode yes. that like science like it's very important that scientists are the first ones like going going in the front and telling science to people yeah because if 
you know, a politician explains science to you, they're not going to know everything. It's mm -hmm. like when uh, you're told to read a book for school and you just read the resume, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> you're not going to get it. You know? yeah. That's already a lot if you, if you actually read the resume. <laughs> Politicians, yeah. I mean. Or you watch the movie, if yeah. there is one. But also, the big, I think the big issue with that is that they have an agenda, so they have a purpose, and they will tell you what they want you to do. Exactly, or they're biased. Sure. So that's why it's so important that as scientists, we are giving it a more um, a objective, -agenda, yeah, an objective mm -hmm. and resourceful um, conversation. I do think that science communication is also important because um, there is a, a science communicator in Spain. Um, its YouTube channel is pretty well, and it also has some videos in in English. So if you wanna check it out, it's called Quantum Fracture. No one is paying me. I just been recommended it because <laughs> yeah I, I think it's it's really good seriously and hashtag non-sponsored yeah. <laughs> anyway this guy thinks it's it was like an inspirational idea for me and he calls it go to the war but not the war you are probably now thinking of so anyway the the thing and the situation is that sometimes uh, pseudoscience can't be like bad on themselves I mean, you can see them as religion. Um, sometimes, uh, like, you can believe some things that aren't going to hurt you in no way. But the problem is when people who want to deceive other one, like uh, more people who are more easy to deceive because of his lack of knowledge, that the stuff, I want to take, um, take part of that, take advantage of that. Maybe through earning money, for example, uh, and it can be very, very unfair. So I think a very important thing about science communication is that it prevents or at least, at least it fights these, I think, negative situations through spreading uh, the knowledge that not everybody uh, has to know, more or less, the idea is. And we scientists have to feel responsible for that because we are precisely us, the one who are supposed to know like deeply that, that knowledge. Yeah. 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 I agree with you, but uh, I also think that there is like a, a basic problem about science communication that uh, is, uh, I can um, say it as a question. I mean, do you think that uh, researchers uh, are on average more shy than uh, other people. I mean, I don't think that's. <laughs> I don't think no, because, because I mean, what I, what I wanted to say is that uh, it's not maybe uh, that easy to uh, explain science in a cool way. No, but for example, like writing a blog, you don't. There's no face-to-face -face interaction, okay, so yeah. you know, it's hiding behind a screen, but it's still doing the job. So not only does it depend on the job, but yeah. Also, to refute your point, if you actually look at people in physics, like, I'd say, like, maybe 50-50 or probably more are actually social butterflies than they are, you know, so shy that they can't, you know, make friends or anything like that. I think that's just kind of a stereotype, honestly. No, it is a stereotype, but I mean, it's not like that extreme. It's just uh, public speaking mm -hmm. is difficult for everyone. Yeah, that's and, true. And uh, if I, I don't know, look at politicians uh, or look at... Uh, 
accuracy they are much better than physicists. But, but, but that's because they are trained yeah, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Should yeah. should yeah. be trained as well to teach yes. Uh, Maybe yes. And that's for example why we started the science space. But then, and guys, you you have all done so well today. And I just want to say, like Erica and I are both introverts, and that's why we're doing this because we wanted to practice talking to people. Yeah. yeah. So like now I'm talking, but the moment you turn that off, I just won't talk to you anymore. Because <laughs> 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 I'm an introvert, right? But, but I believe in science communication, so you just have to train. Yeah. Yeah. I also sure. start to uh, sign up for this workshop because what I've told before, I will I'm get really nervous speaking publicly, so that's why I decided to do it so I can practice a mm-hmm. little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, that lacks a lot of students and even researchers, some of them, so... I think it's a really important part. Yeah, especially because you have to do a lot of presentations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's the thing. Public speaking, we, we, we associate it maybe with like, I don't know, Obama or Al Gore or something like this. But actually, we're doing it all the time. Especially if you want to apply for funding, you have to be able to present yeah. in an engaging way to somebody who might not be a specialist in your area in order to get your project funded. Yeah. You were giving conferences. Yeah. We're talking a lot. So it's not just about writing scientifically, but also talking. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you get the, the problem of knowing your audience and are you talking to you to people in your field of general scientists mm-hmm. or are you talking to the public? Because if, if you talk to the public, in a way you talk to other scientists, they're gonna stare at you wide eyed. Yeah, I mean you need to know how to you, adapt to different yes. You need to adapt you can't be perfectly good fine public speaking figure in, in the scientific field, but that doesn't really help you in the this you know, it needs training to switch around but sure sure you need to explain something to people in a way they will be engaged and understand it right. and not to dumb it down too much which infuriates the scientists yeah i think that happens sometimes but uh i just wanted to say actually that i watched a video which i thought was really interesting i don't remember what it was but it was basically about how um, the problem with uh, a problem i guess with science communication is that people think they already know the information. And because of that, they're not going to pay attention. And so a method to counteract this, I guess, is like asking the question and being like, oh, what do you think would happen in this case? And then showing them that, no, that's wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> and this is the right answer. So I think it's not only about like not making it too simple, but also, you know, I guess presenting it with a little personality as well, because it can't just be something boring and still. And yeah. it makes more believable what you are trying to explain or say or present with something. So if the public can relate to you, they are going to pay more attention. So I think it's some some methods that uh, scientists need to work on and practice a lot. Yeah, especially like we as scientists have to go down from like this high mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. position where we where we usually are like we have to be part of the people so af- after this conversation i guess we can all we can safely agree on the fact that it would be great if every faculty of science would uh, provide courses mm-hmm. in science communication yeah. to students totally yeah, yeah. i was thinking about like that and sorry. also yeah sorry uh, and also that it would be nice maybe to I don't know, organize, maybe this is an, an idea for you, like a summer course on public speaking <laughs> oh, uh, yes. in science and scientific outreach. Mm-hmm. I would definitely sign up for it. Okay, we can think if we can organize something for next year. 
maybe not as mean with me and Stephanie as speakers, but we would invite <laughs> we would have invited speakers who are like much more <laughs> professional than yeah, us. But, like this was really good doing the vlog and now the podcast. I think I mean sure it was just one time, but it still it have I think it helped a lot. Yeah, yeah no, I'm sure that next time if you will have to talk in public on a video or a public talk or a podcast, you will be much less shy. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 Actually, I, I want to, because of what we're talking about, the science communication and the importance of um, relating to your audience and engaging with the audience and having empathy. My little anecdote for today is there's a, there's a paper that came out in science this year, and it's from researchers from MIT, and they looked at tweets they looked at 10 years of Twitter data with over 3 million tweets, uh, users, tweet, Twitter users, over 4 million tweets, and to see how fake news was, was spreading versus real news. And they found that the, uh, the fake news was spreading faster, more, it got a longer chain of reaction <laughs> of, of, of spreading, um, and it reached uh, more fields or, or areas or people than the real news but that's because they always have the clickbaiting titles yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well when they were trying to see the content the content they they um, concluded that it is likely that the reason is that this fake news are more exciting and they're more novel um so and you react to it uh with surprise or disgust which is you know it's a strong reaction whereas the other one the real one there's less novelty there's more um acceptance and it's 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 a more neutral feeling so of course we want the exciting stuff Mm, and that's why fake clickbaiting titles for science also yeah i think uh, this is like an another cause that can be considered that people also tend to um, to believe easily more easily the things that are in accord uh, that are in position well in with what they previously believed so uh, when you see some news that says something you believe it's right it's gonna be fine for you, for you, believings, of course. So you're gonna like um, be more. Um, how do you say this word? Like easy to believe whatever it is, yeah. and maybe you wanna spread it, uh, reti- retreating, retweeting it. So yeah, like that. Yeah, I think it's called confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. It has name. Yeah, it didn't know. It. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, and there are probably effects of like um, I don't remember what it's called, but like. It's that uh, experiment, social experiment, that uh, if everyone in the elevator turns a certain way, you also turn, because that's, you know, a, a human instinct. And I wonder if that has anything, you know, any influence on this. Like, if everyone is spreading fake news, then, you know, why shouldn't you believe it? Everyone's doing it. <laughs> yeah. The sheep effect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's actually a really good article which we can link in the info. Yes, it together with the YouTube channel of the Spanish guy. <laughs> yes. Okay. It's in the New Yorker, and it's it's kind of this about the the way our brain works and how we're really hyper social animals, mm-hmm. and that's why we we like to we we do this. Yeah, because we, we want to f- we want to feel that that we belong to something. So the ship ef- effect. Uh, that's how. That's why we do it. Mm-hmm. Just to f- yeah. Just to feel like we belong to something, like a group or even an event, something. And that's that's why it occurs also in, with fake news. But okay, I think we can wrap it up. Also, because these poor students have to have dinner yeah. <laughs> yeah. before the dinner time ends. 
And so, Stephanie, today I think we did a good action and do, did some science communication with very young minds. Yay! Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. that you're all really excited about science communication. Yeah, we, we had a lot of fun and, and you are all, you seem all awesome people and it was very great <laughs> to you. meet you. Thank yeah. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. Nice Same meeting. for you. <laughs> Physics rules. Physics rules. <laughs> yes. So hi, bye bye everybody from ICPS 2018 conference and our regular episodes will come back in September. In the meanwhile, we will still enjoy the little bit of summer we have left. Yeah. <laughs> so you can follow the hashtag ICPS 18. Yes. 2018. 2018. Yeah. 20. ICPS 2018. 2018. <laughs> so little applause to all of us, otherwise we oversaturate the microphone. <laughs> bye. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Oh, how about we say it in different languages? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Ciao. Ciao as well. Ciao. We also say ciao. I can say also arrivederci. Hasta la vista, baby. And in Finnish, moi moi. Moi moi. Moi moi. The science is